ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده خلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا ثم بعد يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله we continue with the explanation of the four hadith of al-imam an-nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala we arrive to al-hadith as-sadis an abi abdullah an-nu'man ibn bashir radiyallahu anhuma qala sami'tu rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqul inna al-halala bayyin wa inna al-harama bayyin wa baynahuma umur mushtabihat la ya'lamuhunna kathir min an-nas فمن اتقى الشبهات فقد استبرأ لدينه وعرضه ومن وقع في الشبهات وقع في الحرام كالراعي يرعى حول الحما يوشك أن يرتع فيه ألا وإن لكل ملك حما ألا وإن هما الله محارمه ألا وإن في الجسد مضغة إذا صلحت صلح الجسد كله وإذا فسدت فسد الجسد كله ألا وهي القلب رواه البخاري ومسلم. This narration is on the authority of the father of Abdullah al-Nu'man ibn Bashir. May Allah be pleased with him and his father. He said, I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say. Indeed, the halal is clear, and indeed the haram is clear. And between them are doubtful matters that most of the people do not know or not aware of. Therefore, whoever stays away from the doubtful matters, and then he has freed himself as it relates to his religion and his honor. And whoever has fallen into the doubtful matters, then he has fallen into the haram. It's similar to the shepherd who is grazing his animals near a sanctuary. 
he is about to go into that prohibited area. And indeed, for every king, there is a sanctuary. And indeed, the sanctuary of Allah is his prohibitions. Indeed, in the body, there is a morsel of flesh. If it is sound, the entire body is sound. If it is corrupted, the entire body is corrupt. Indeed, it is the heart. This narration is collected by Al-Imam Al-Bukhari and Imam Muslim. Al-Nu'man Ibn Bashir, Al-Nu'man, he is a Sahabi, the son of a Sahabi. He is a companion, the son of a companion. And this is a virtue that he is a companion and on top of that his father is a companion from the companions of the Prophet So he and his father are both from the best of the people. As the Prophet mentioned, that the best of the people is my generation. So the best Muslims they are, to have ever lived the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. And this is after the Prophets and the Messengers. The companions of Prophet Muhammad ﷺ are better than the companions of Noah, better than the companions of Ibrahim, better than the companions of Musa, better than the companions of Isa. The Sahaba of the Prophet ﷺ, they are better than the companions of the other Prophets and Messengers, but they are not better than the Prophets and Messengers. So after the Prophets and Messengers, the Sahaba, they are the best of the people. And this is from the creed of Ahl sunnah wal Jama'ah as it relates to the Sahaba. So An-Nu'man ibn Bashir, he is from the Ansar. He is Al-Ansari And from the tribe of Al-Khazraj And from being from the Ansar Meaning he is from those people Who are from the residents of Medina Who aided and supported the Muhajireen When they migrated to Medina And they opened up their homes And they opened up that which Allah has blessed them with the provisions to aid and support their brothers who recently migrated to Medina. His father is Bashir ibn Sa'd and his mother is Amra bint Rawaha, the sister of Abdullah ibn Rawaha. And Nu'man, it is stated that he is the firstborn amongst the Ansar after the Prophet Sallallahu came to Medina. The first child born from the tribe or from the Ansar after the Prophet Sallallahu arrived to Medina was a numan And there was a narration which has benefited all of us as parents related to an incident which took place between him and his father. The narration, Al-Nu'mani says, أَعْطَانِي أَبِي عَطِيَّةِ 
He said, my father gave me a gift. فَقَالَتْ عَمْرَ بِنْتْ so Amra, his mother, the daughter of Rawaha, she said, I will not be pleased with this until you make the Messenger to witness what you just did. So he went to the Messenger. فَقَالَ إِنِّي أَعْطَيْتُ إِبْنِي مِنْ عَمْرَ بِنْتُ رَوَاحَ عَطِيَّةً فَأَمَرَتْنِي أَنْ أُشْهِدَكَ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ He said, I have given a gift to my son from Amra, the daughter of Rawaha, and she commanded me to make you a witness in this affair, O Messenger of Allah. The Prophet said, did you give the rest of your children the likes of this gift? Bashir he said, No, I didn't. So the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam he said to Bashir. Fear Allah and be just between your children. Fear Allah and be just between your children. This here, barakallahu feekum, is a virtue for a nu'man as well as his father. Here, alhamdulillah, a ruling has come as a result of what took place in their family. Even if it's in the affair of a matter being corrected, is still a virtue because here it, here it is today we're reading this narration that was relayed to us from a nu'mah so alhamdulillah the benefits that we get the reward goes back to them for those who convey so it states so he went back to his family and he took the gift back and look how Bashir radiallahu an answered the command of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is with the, this was the way of the Sahaba that when the Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam commanded him with an affair, they responded. He didn't go back and say, "Well, I'm just going to leave the gift with a nu'ma and the next time I get all of the children a gift." No. He went back and he took the gift back. One narration the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he mentioned or one wording when Bashir came to him and mentioned what happened, he said, فَلَا تُشْهِدْنِي إِذَنْ فَإِنِّي لَا أَشْهَدُ عَلَى الْجُورِ The Prophet said to Bashir, Don't make me a witness. For indeed, I do not witness uh, that which is incorrect. Or that which is wrong.
one word and he states, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, فَأَشْهِدْ عَلَى هَذَا غَيْرِ Get someone else to bear witness to this. Another word in states, فَلَيْسَ يَسْلُحُ هَذَا وَإِنِّي لَأَشْهَدُ إِلَّا عَلَى حَقٍ The Prophet ﷺ said, this is not suitable, this is not befitting. Meaning to give to one child and then leave the other children. You give a gift to one, you give a gift to all. You have to be fair between your children because if you're not fair between your children, this can cause enmity between the children. This can cause jealousy and hatred between the children. Because they look at the child who has been given as being favored over them. And then shaitan, he comes in and he whispers and corrupts the hearts. And causes the siblings to plot and plan against their own sibling. Like in the case of Yusuf alayhi salam. And of course... Uh, Ya'qub was a prophet and he was just, he wasn't unjust but even in that case where he wasn't unjust and he was just between his children they knew that Yusuf was the favorite and they plotted against him so in these wordings we see that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he was one who did not agree to falsehood even if or wrongdoing, even if it took place from someone who is beloved to him. And the companions are beloved to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There is a narration that states, سووا بين أولادكم في العطية فلو كنت مفضلا أحدا لفضلت النساء Treat your children equally or deal with your children with equality as it relates to giving gifts and if I was to give preference to anyone then I would have given preference to the woman However, this narration is not authentic. Now, so Nu'man ibn Bashir, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, without a doubt, he is from the younger companions of the Prophet, as he was the firstborn after the Prophet arrived to Medina, and the Prophet was in Medina for how long? He was in, the Prophet was in Mecca for 13 years and then 10 in Medina. So when 
The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam passed away. He was about ten, going on eleven years old. So he was a young companion, a young Sahabi. But look how, even though he was young, he benefited from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And this is why we are encouraged for those of us who have younger children, especially younger sons, to bring them to the masjid and bring them to the classes. As long as they are young, uh, I mean, as long as they are disciplined and they have, you know, the, the patience to sit and to learn and to comprehend, bring them and put them in the class. Bring them and put them in the class. You know, when I, we have sons that are 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, these boys should be with us in the masjid, in the class. Benefiting from Allah said, the Prophet wasallam said, the Sahaba said. You'd be surprised how much they retain. Because the, their minds are like sponges, they soak in everything. You have the likes of a Nu'man, and other young companions like Abdullah uh, ibn Abbas and other than them uh, Abdullah ibn Umar they were young but you look at even in their youth they benefited tremendously from the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and they are an example as it relates to the cultivation of our children upon Islam you know, the Prophet Sallallahu he mentioned, Teach your children how to pray at the age of seven. Because normally the age of seven is the, the age of tamiz. Tamiz, any the child has the ability to discern between, like, between right and wrong. So, so for sure at the age of seven, we start to teach our children this deen. And even before that, of course, we teach them to say La ilaha illallah. We teach them things about Allah according to their capacity. But at the age of seven, now we start to really teach them the practice of the deen. As the Prophet said, teach your children to pray at the age of seven. We move on to that which the narration entails. The first statement of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam: "Inna al-halal bayyin wa inna al-haram bayyin, wa bainahuma umur mushtabihat la yaglamuhun kathir min al-nas, wa fi love, wa bainahuma." Mushabbahat. Indeed, the halal was clear, and indeed, the haram is clear. And between them are doubtful matters that most of the people they do not know. Another wording mentions mushabbahat instead of mushtabihat. 
have the same meaning. Here, matters are divided into three categories. Halalun la shubhafi. That which is halal and clear. Halal bayin la shubhafi. That which is lawful and clear, there's no doubt regarding it. Like permissible foods, permissible drinks, permissible clothing. As an example, What's the ruling of drinking water? Halal. No one has any doubts as it relates to drinking a bottle of water. What's the ruling on uh, eating an animal that has been slaughtered by a Muslim? It's halal. There's no doubts regarding this type of affairs. What's the ruling on a person uh, wearing a nice garment halal and other than that from that which Allah has made halal and from the good things like these are things that are clear people don't have doubts about these affairs and then you have that which is haram bayin that which is haram that which is clearly haram la shubhafi no doubts regarding like a shirk billah. We know that it is haram to worship other than Allah. Like al bid'ah. This is clearly haram. To worship Allah based upon other than what the Prophet taught us. Because we have to worship Allah alone. Two things when it comes to worshiping Allah. We worship Allah alone, there be no partners for Him. And we worship Him based upon what He legislated. So this means no shirk, no bid'ah. It's clear haram. And this is the meaning of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. None has the right to be worshipped except Allah. And Muhammad Rasulullah means that we want to worship Allah the way Prophet Muhammad taught us. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. We don't worship Allah the way we want to worship Allah. Or how we feel like worshiping Allah. And we start making up our own rules and regulations in the religion. No, this is not allowed. Also, that from that which is clearly haram, stealing, committing zina, uh, being disobedient, to the parents, killing people unjustly, lying, backbiting, uh, tail carrying, these things are known to be haram. So these are the first two categories in the sharia. And these matters are established by way of the text and by way of the consensus of the ulama. The third matter those matters that are doubtful. And most of the people do not know. And these doubtful matters, as the ulama, as the ulama they say, they are few in a religion. Alhamdulillah. The mushtabihat qalila. The doubtful matters in the religion are few. It's not a whole bunch of doubtful matters in the religion. And 
these doubtful matters, the scholars they mention, they are of different categories and levels. One category is a matter that is doubtful but is close to that which is haram. A matter that is doubtful but it is close to that which is haram. The second, a matter that is doubtful but close to being halal. And then the third, that which is in between. And this is the most severe and confusing of the doubtful matters. Because it doesn't look like it leans to either or. It's like in the middle. You have some matters that are doubtful but a person may say, I don't know, that, that, that may be haram. Because it's close to being uh, similar to that which is known to be haram. And then there's another affair that is doubtful, people don't know, but it says, I don't know, but I don't see nothing wrong with it because it resembles something that is halal, but still doubtful because the person doesn't have the ilm. But then you have those matters are in between. And the scholars they say, these are the worst of, or the most severe, I should say, of the doubtful matters. In any event, when it comes to the doubtful matters, and a person does not know, the best thing for the individual to do is to refrain and stay away. Because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he mentioned ma ila ma la Leave alone what makes you doubt for that which doesn't make you doubt It's the safest position But before we go into that what will cause a person to be from the many who do not know the cause of that is the absence of knowledge. Person he does not know. He has not studied this affair or studied the religion as one should. So as a result of that, affairs are doubtful to him. And as for those few who do know, then they are the people of knowledge, Ahl al Another wording Al Halal Bayin Wal Haram Bayin Wabayna Dalika Umur Mushtabihat La Yadri Kathir Minan Nas Amin al Halal Hiya Am Min al Haram That the halal is clear and the haram is clear and between that are doubtful matters most of the people do not know whether or not it is from the halal or whether or not it is from the haram doesn't know and again this comes as a result of a person's weakness as it relates to the knowledge of the deen and Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu an he mentioned al-ilm khayrun min al-mal Knowledge is better than wealth. And then he explained why. لِأَنَّكَ تَحْفَذْ 
Al-mal wal-ilm yahfaduka. Because the money, you have to protect the money. Whereas the knowledge protects you. So from that, for that reason, Al-ilm khayru min al-mal. Knowledge is better than money. Knowledge is better than money. You look at the great lifts that people go through to protect their money. From banks, and, uh, Swiss bank accounts, and safe deposit boxes, big safes, and stash houses, and all type of things you find people they do to protect their wealth. But the knowledge, it protects you. A person is knowledgeable of poison and the effects of poison. And he has two glasses of water in front of him, one poison and the other one not poison. And he knows that the glass on the left, as an example, is poison. So he doesn't drink from it, he drinks from the glass on the right. You see how the knowledge protected him? Save his life. Look at the narration of the three men from Bani Israel who they were like in a rainstorm or there was, there was a rainstorm or inclement weather and they went into the cave seeking shelter and Allah decreed that a boulder closed the mouth of the cave so now they're trapped inside and then one of them said la yunjikum Nothing is going to save you from this Except for what? That you make dua to Allah Right? By one of your deeds or acts of righteousness that you did for His sake See that knowledge At the end Along with the sincerity in their good deeds It saved them It saved them the knowledge of let's call upon Allah by one of the things that we did for Allah's sake of good. And each time, and there was three of them, one of them will mention something, the boulder will move. Showing that Allah accepted that action from them. And it was done sincerely for a sake. And then the next one, and the boulder will move. And then when the third one mentioned what he mentioned, then the boulder moved enough for them to get out. But it was knowledge to call upon Allah by way of a deed that one sincerely did for Allah's sake, it saved him. So when a person is weak as it relates to his knowledge or weak as it relates to practice of his deen or he's just overcome by a lot of doubts in his heart or as some ulama mentioned that the person is constantly indulging in abundance and permissible matters which could lead to a person falling into that which is disliked or haram because he's going overboard This could be the reason So Ahlul Ilm 
they have their virtue, they have their fadl. Because they are from the few that know while the majority they do not know. And may Allah make us from the people who have knowledge of this deen and practice what we know of this deen. Ameen. Some of them say the doubtful matters are those matters in which the scholars had differed about. And what's intended here, meaning when there's a strong differing between them, which brings about a doubt. Like the matters of ijtihad, where there are evidences like on both sides. Others say the doubtful matters are the disliked matters in the religion. Some say the doubtful matters are the permissible affairs. But the ulama, you have those who say, but that which is correct regarding this are those matters in which the scholars had differed in. Matters where the differing is strong And Matters of ijtihad And the evidences Seemingly contradict one another This is what's intended In any event When a person doesn't know, he should not act, he should not say, rather he should ask. If you do not know, don't say anything, don't do anything, but direct a question to those who know. As Allah Azzawajal, He mentions, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلِ ذِكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people of knowledge when you do not know. And going to the people of knowledge seeking a religious verdict and at the head of them are the ulama of Ahlul Sunnah. We go to them and we present our questions to them when we have the ability to do or we do our best. If we can't get direct contact to them, maybe we know someone who can and present the question on behalf of, of us. Or sometimes you have no access to a scholar directly or indirectly, but you have access to the books of fatawa where scholars have answered questions that are similar to your question or questions. We can read, read from those books of fatawa and, to, and benefit uh, from those books of fatawa. But the point here is that one should not take matters into his own hand. Because you can cause more harm than good. You can cause more harm than good to yourself and to others. 
So this is why it's very important that if you do not know something, don't speak about it. If you do not know something to be from the deen, don't do it. If someone comes to you asking you a question about the religion and you do not know, be quiet. Say Allah knows best. And that's it. And, and, and direct the person to someone who may be able to assist them if you cannot assist them. <laughs> well, for someone to embark upon a matter or speak about a matter or answer a question and the person does not have the knowledge to answer the question, you can cause more harm than good. Look at the situation where some of the companions were on a journey. And one of the companions, he, he had some wounds on his body. And in the morning when he woke up, he woke up in a state of impurity. But he was afraid to use water because he believed that if he was to use the water, it would get into the womb and it would harm him. So he went to some of the companions and asked them, what is my case? And some they said, as long as there's water, you have to make busu, even if you have the wounds. So the man, he went and made the ghusl and the water got into the wounds and it led to his death. When this news reached the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he reprimanded them. He said, قَتَلُوهُ قَتَلَهُمُ And this is a strong statement from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi as a means of reprimanding them but not making dua against them in reality because the Prophet Sallallahu said what means that if he was to ever make dua against one from his companions he prayed to Allah that Allah makes it for them and not against them but this wording the Prophet said they killed him may Allah kill them but it doesn't really mean that exactly but it was a reprimand to show how severe the situation was and them giving an answer and they did not know. As the Prophet mentioned, Shouldn't they not have asked when they did not know? Shouldn't they not have asked when they did not know? Then the Prophet Sallallahu went on to mention <laughs> The Prophet Sallallahu went on to say Jazakallah khairan for your, your good thoughts The Prophet Sallallahu went on to say Inna shifa al-i as-su'al And that's, that's a strong Statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Indeed the cure The cure for ignorance Is the question 
So that means ignorance is a what? A sickness. Ignorance is the sickness. It's in need of a cure. And the cure for ignorance is to learn. It's to ask, to learn your religion, sit in the gatherings. And of course, yes, we, we are busy. We have our families. We have our responsibilities. You know, so we're not going to always be able to be in the masjid in every single class. But do the best you can. And maybe you're not able to make it to the masjid during the nights there are classes. Okay, listen to the recordings. Alhamdulillah, the scholars, they're in finis for the, the brothers who have the ability to uh, understand the Arabic language. The lectures of the scholars are online. And alhamdulillah, this is one of the benefits of technology in this day and time. That you can listen to the classes. You can get the book that the sheikh is going over. In class number one, and you go through it. In the class, maybe 30, 40 minutes, and you do that two, three times a week. You'd be surprised how much knowledge you accumulate. Now make it your business to read a fatwa a day on the on the, the chapter of purification, on the chapter of salah. You'd be surprised. Think about it. If you was to read a fatwa a day, at the end of the year, you have, I'm positive, well over 360 benefits. It's one. Listen to one class a day. Take an hour out of your day. This is going to be for your Islamic studies. An hour. Half an hour. Maybe, you know, you're very busy. Okay, half an hour. A class is an hour, so every two days you finish, you're finishing a class. You get your pen and pad, the book you have, you write your, your notes and your benefits in the book. Or the back. So, these are... means by which we can accumulate knowledge on a daily basis. But this should not go a day except that we have benefited in some shape, form or fashion as it relates to the knowledge of our deen. And this is very important. Every day we should be reading something from the Quran. And this, this will help our hearts to become stronger over time. We should be we should read something. Say that again, Shay. Jazakallah khairan. Very, very important, Ikhwan. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in trying to, I want to say trying, but providing for our families and working. You know, and alhamdulillah, this is a good thing. This is a good thing that a person works and he provides for his family. But a part of providing for your family is also providing for them religiously. Not just the monetary provisions, not just the provisions of food and clothing and shelter. What about the, the provisions for the soul? As men, we are the head of our households. 
As the Prophet said, وَالرَّجُلْ رَاعٍ فِي أَهْلِهِ وَهُوَ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَّتِهِ That the man is a shepherd in his family and he is responsible for his flock. That responsibility is not just food, clothing and shelter and secular education. But first and foremost, the responsibility is in the Islamic cultivation of the family. As Allah Azza wa Jal mentioned, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu, ku anfusakum wa ahlikum nara. All you who believe, save yourselves and your family from a fire. Wakuduha nasu wal hijara. From a fire whose fuel is men and stones. Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu an he commented on this verse. He said, Alimuhum wa addibuhum. Teach them and discipline them. Teach them Islam and give them the disciplines and the cultivation of Islam. There's no mentioning of food and drink here and monetary provisions. No. Alimuhum al Islam. Wa'addibuhum bi adab al Islam. Teach them Islam. Discipline them with the disciplines of Islam. This is the meaning of the statement of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu We are responsible for teaching our families and putting them in the position to learn and to grow and to get closer to Allah. That's the type of situation we have to provide and make in our homes, an Islamic home. Islamic cultivation, al-tarbiyah al-islamiyah. Inshallah ta'ala, we'll stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah Azza wa Jalla alone. Whatever is incorrect is for myself. Wa subhanaka la bihamdika, shadu wa la ilaha 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 